What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Brian McWilliams. Hello and welcome to Electric Liberty Land. Hope you're all doing well out there. Well, you know, I mean, I hope you're willing. Well, I don't really know if you are. It's kind of a one-way communication. You know, it's like, it's kind of funny, like social media. You people write things like, hope you all have a great day. And you're like, no, you don't. You don't, you don't really care. This is You just want one way. You just want to feel good about you, baby. Anyway, I want to hit a few topics on this week's show, which is Electric Liberty Land episode number 77. Of course, you can find the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL77. A couple of things I want to hit on that happened between the time that I recorded this epic podcast with my father on Father's Day and the time of this airing. So, got to get those in there because we've got we got to talk about Trump's Space Force. If nothing else, we have to talk about the Space Force. And we will. We will, my children of the Liberty Corn. We will get to it. Of course, I want to remind you at the top of the show, Make sure you listen to Mark Clare on our flagship show every Monday, where he's talking to liberty <laughs> leaders in the liberty movement. Pardon me. And this past week, he had uh, Dr. Adelstein on there. He had Judd Weiss. And they were doing a little debate about the nature of self-esteem and uh, the value therein. Self-esteem. Is it good or bad? One could argue that in the modern day, it's bad. It seems to be what all the people are concerned about with their children is making them little childrens feel good rather than actually having them know the difference between right and wrong or having learned any skills during the course of their young age. But I encourage you to listen. Listen to this debate. Pretty much uh, pretty interesting back and forth and judge for thyself. And then, of course, on Fridays, we've got John Odermatt with Felony Fridays looking at the ironically named justice system and all of the problems that exist therein. And one last thing, guys, we are going to be recording live at Porkfest. Yes, this airs Wednesday. I will be at Porkfest as of Friday morning. I'll land. Me and Rico are going to drive in, and then we're going to start getting drunk. Because that's what we do. So if you are going to Porkfest, don't be shy. Come up. Say hello to us. We'll be wandering around and doing our own Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor very special episode which will be video streaming to our patrons. And of course, you can support the show and become a patron at lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. Link in there to our Patreon account. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a hoot nanny. That much I can assure you. But as previously, previously, I can't talk today. I can't do it. As previously stated on this program, though, if you come up to me and say hello and you are not wearing a Lions of Liberty shirt, prepare to be spat upon. I don't consider it a violation of the NAP as I am giving you fair verbal warning ahead of time. And by approaching me, having heard said verbal warning, you have uh, entered into a contract between two people <laughs> wherein you're agreeing to, to get spit on should you not be wearing a t-shirt. No, no, no. Be, please do be friendly. And of course, you could buy a t-shirt online ahead of time 
This uh, may not get to you in time with this much lead time, but hey, maybe you can expedite it. Wouldn't that be cool? And of course, I'm also going to be doing a little version of my own show at uh, Porkfest as well on Saturday morning. So that should be fun. Just uh, quietly puking on a microphone for about an hour. That's what the, that's what next week's podcast is going to be, guys. So you can look forward to that. But before that happens, this week, we've got a podcast in which I'm not hungover. I'm not even drunk. Now, don't turn it off. I know most of you prefer me that way. Drunk and slurring my words and sliding around in my seat as I slowly crap myself. But no, no, I'm, I'm sober for this part. <laughs> I was sober for the part with my dad coming up too. Don't worry. But uh, so let's talk a little bit about some current events. First things first. Peter Strzok, Peter Strzok, Peter Stork, however you want to say his name, guy with a Z in the middle of the name that's silent or not silent, depending on how you want to read it on a given day and whether or not you are in fact drunk on a given day. He has been escorted from the FBI building, from his uh, his <laughs> heights of federal bias. He has been currently escorted from the building and I guess is basically being suspended while this investigation takes place. So already we saw these texts come out. I haven't gone into it too much because it's been talked about everywhere. My father and I talk a little bit about it later in the show, how this is just basically this whole report from the DOJ that came out. It just, it's kind of nothing, you know, it's, if you read into it, Basically, what you have is guys going, well, we looked into it and we found all this evidence that he is clearly biased, but, you know, it didn't impact his work at all. What? I mean, what? What are you talking about? I mean, you're in charge of an investigation where you openly say you're going to stop somebody from getting office during it while you're investigating him. And in the meantime, you're overlooking all sorts of little things that happened for your preferred candidate at the same time, which by the way, why are the same people working on these two things simultaneously? Doesn't that seem to be an immediate conflict of interest, even for somebody that's not biased? But this guy clearly says, we're going to stop Trump. We're not going to allow him to win. We're going to stop him. But no, of course, it has no impact on, on his findings or the work that he did. My fucking ass it didn't. I mean, even if it's not intentional bias at that point, even if you can't say, what we saw where he went out of out of his way to, to do this. Well, the guy's assignment is to investigate this. I'm sure he's just going to investigate a little bit harder, or maybe he's going to overlook some things that would say, well, usually you wouldn't investigate this, or he's going to look a little harder and say, well, you know, this is something when it's nothing for everybody else in the world. And again, it doesn't have to be intentional bias here when you showcase the fact that you were clearly fucking biased by saying that you're not going to allow a man to win the presidency who is currently the Republican candidate. Just absurd. So, I mean, frankly, I don't know why he wasn't fired. I mean, that's just my my base opinion. But what's even more ridiculous in this whole Peter Strzok, 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 uh, sock puppet situation is that not only was he not fired, but he was reassigned. And you say, okay, well, where was he reassigned? Was he, was he you know, sent down to the division of FBI extras that we see used in movies? Will we see him in the next Die Hard as a, as a rent-a-cop? No. A man who has clear bias, who has worked and was having an affair with another woman at the FBI with clear bias, that has worked to, uh, actively to undermine a presidential candidate during his election cycle, or go, during his candidacy, and in the meantime, 
has whitewashed through any number of offenses committed by Hillary Clinton, his preferred candidate during that same election cycle, was not fired, but instead sent to work at the HR department for the FBI. (laughs) I mean, you can't write it any better. We've got a guy that showcases his clear bias during a presidential election. So let's put him in a position where he now has power and influence over who the FBI is hiring. I mean, can you think of anything dumber to do than that? We're going to put this guy in a position where now he can hire 10 more Peter Strzoks to come in here and continue to fuck things up, to continue to have bias. I mean, this is the same as you see in academia. You see these people get on commissions or get on hiring panels and they put people in positions that see the same as they do. They put people in that share their political viewpoints, whether or not they actively know it or not. They put people in because they are so biased. They automatically gravitate towards people who have that same bias. You're seeing it in big tech companies. You're seeing it in academia. And now you're seeing it in the FBI. What has gone wrong with the world? Now, granted, the FBI, I could abolish it tomorrow and be completely happy. Same thing with the CIA. Same thing with any number of government organizations. So maybe in a way it could work out for the best. Maybe Peter Strzok will be so inept and so biased in his hiring that we can open up a whole brand new investigation and really just clean house, really just chop that wood, man. Prune those branches down to the point where there's just a little nub sticking out of the ground that can basically do nothing except have you trip over it if you're completely paying no attention and basically are, uh, you know, as I was talking about earlier, completely blackout drunk hammered. That should be the FBI. The Federal Bureau of Investigation should only be there to really get you if you're truly fucked up. And that's where we'll end that little diatribe. Goddamn human resources. Unbelievable. Okay. Next thing we want to talk about here is Teddy, Teddy Cruz. I'm not going to talk about his basketball victory over Jimmy Kimmel. We will save that for discussion on our Degenerate Gamblers show for our Lions Pride of course, Rico and Odie and, uh, and I do that with uh, much aplomb every week. But Ted Cruz, after his rousing victory over Jimmy Kimmel, uh, has now gone on and released a bill to address the issue involving the children that are being held and separated from their parents. Some 2,000 since uh, in the last couple of months have been separated from families, put in detention centers for 72-some hours, possibly longer. And then if over that, they get put into foster homes or group homes, wherein they are then taken until they can find suitable families in the U.S. to take care of them or relatives, or they are found and sent back to relatives overseas. So Ted Cruz's bill that he had just introduced does a little bit to address that. And this is all very early in the game, by the way, because we don't know yet the exact bill words. I almost called the lyrics. <laughs> Because Ted Cruz writes a sweet bill. Oh, it rhymes with the best of them. It's like, have you ever heard Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix? This new Ted Cruz pills lyrics are pretty much on par. No, no, pardon me. <laughs> okay, so this uh, this new song by Ted is called the Protect Kids and Parents Act, which seems very, very vague, but these bills are always vague. They're always vague and idiotically named so that they tug on heartstrings rather than actually tell you what the bill does. So here's what his general outline is 
for this bill that he will release later this week. He wants to double the number of federal immigration judges from roughly 375 to 750. Now, while I am obviously opposed to what I consider property rights violations by ripping children away from parents who simply want to come into this country to work, I have to say that I, uh, I'm not a fan of hiring 350 more judges and adding 350 more federal judge salaries to our roles on top of all the additional costs that it's going to be to what are we going to do with the families now? We're going to have to build special family detention centers. How is this going to work out? That's my question. How is this going to work out? Because this is the issue I voiced before is I don't really know how you handle this situation from the standpoint of, okay, what do we do with these people now? Because the problem that's occurring more than anything for me is that half these people are seeking asylum. Half these people are just looking to come into the country illegally. There are two different things on some level. The people seeking asylum are from countries that have been ravaged by violence. The people that are just coming in illegally just want to work. Now, if we didn't have this welfare state in place, I'd be fine with both those people just come on in and take a seat, you know, get to work, start contributing to the economy. But when you have this type of situation, I guess you just handle them and you have to build a new facility that's family friendly now. You have to combine two prisons into one. You have to, I mean, I, I seriously think about the amount of infrastructure retooling that would go into place with this bill and the astronomical cost of it. And I just don't even know how you'd handle it. That's the thing that I need to know about this more than anything is what is the scenario if we don't separate parents and kids at the border? Because Cruz's bill does have a, an allotment for temporary shelters. And I don't mean temporary as in these are going to be tent cities for them necessarily. I mean temporary. And I think this is the way that he means it as in they'll be there temporarily. But these are still brand new structures. These are still brand new state-of-the-art facilities that are going to be constructed at the taxpayer expense to handle this new way of dealing with things. Whereas, again, I wonder if you can just combine those together with what we have right now. If there's a way to just say, okay, well, you see those fences? All right, well, now it's just going to be a big open room and all the families go in this room and we're just going to have people watch them. You're, you're, you're responsible for your children. So watch over your damn kids. We're not going to have therapists there on hand to deal with any of this kind of shit that speaks Spanish. And we're just going to try to process it more quickly. Because one of the issues that keeps cropping up for me in all this is that, yes, we want to be humane to these people. We want to treat them as if they have their property rights. We want to treat them as though they are human beings. However, there is also the side of me that says, at what expense to the people that have rights in this country? At what expense to all the rest of us do we do this? It's kind of like the the concept that I was talking about with the military, where you've got a military that exists seemingly to go over, they sign up to protect America, but they go over and they die at the whim of foreigners. They die for whatever foreigner, you know, okay, we're just going to swap your American life out for that foreigner's life because, you know, why not? They're in trouble over there. So now it's your problem. You got to go deal with it, even though you don't know them. They have nothing to do with you. They have nothing to do with your family. They have nothing to do with America. All right. See you later. Good luck. Meanwhile, here you go. Okay. So we're providing the, all these services, all these. And I told you about the special dorms they set up for a lot of these kids that come in that cost $670 per child per day, which is absurd. So what's all this going to cost now? And what, to what 
to what expense to the people here are we are we swapping this out? At what point are we saying, okay, well, we're just trading equivalencies. We're trading lives of people here and the expenses that you're taking out of people that you're ripping away from them because, hey, look, taxation is still theft. And if we get into a system now where we continuously have to pay in from the more taxpayers, we continuously have to build more facilities, we continuously have to deal with more lawsuits, we continuously have to buy more judges to place in positions of, uh, of federal salaried power, then something has got to give. We have to re-examine what the hell is going on. Now, again, we would have never gotten to this point if a libertarian was in charge or anybody with half a goddamn brain had taken a look at the situation and just said, look, we cannot have the welfare infrastructure that we have in this country if we want to have any level of open immigration and even closed immigration. Because you're still going to have people that are going to come in here. The largesse of the economy attracts people to this society. And it's been proven time and time again from virtually every single study that you can find that immigration helps the economy. It helps much more than it hurts. So why don't we find a middle ground where we're not just putting people in cages, tearing them away for their families, or having another solution where we say, build bigger jails. Great solution. Let's jail whole families together. Just keep adding the roles to them. Put more judges in there so we can kick these people out of the country faster. Because that's all this means. Or assign children to, to be assigned to uh, to other foster families faster. Because if you want to prosecute the parents, you still got to separate the kids no matter what. You just do it later in the uh, later in the process. Or deport them all together. Just, just, they're basically saying... We need to jail more people and we need to kick them out of the country faster. Instead of that, can we get a better system? Can we get a better visa system? Can we get a better green card system? Can we get a better work permit system? And make it easier for people to just get the goddamn permits and come in here. That way they don't have to sneak into the country. That way you don't have to build massive new infrastructures to take care of these people. And totally rework the way that the system is set up. And by the way, we're talking about this just briefly. Fuck every goddamn Democrat piece of shit asshole who's coming at all, you know, the Trump organization right now, which I agree. Trump's made it worse. But this situation has been in place for a long time and they didn't say shit and they didn't do shit. So don't act holy now. An atrocity is an atrocity. Doesn't matter if it happens today. Doesn't matter if it happened 10 years ago. Where were you then? All right. Last thing, since we're already talking about Trump, let's talk about something a little bit more jovial, huh? Like Trump's space force. In 2018, Donald Trump, president of the United States, created the space force to protect humanity from an alien invasion and Russian hypothermal space nukes. This, of course, was a propaganda front by President Trump, who had been trying to reach his homeland of Comover, a planet outside of the third ring of Saturn, obscured from our viewpoint and cloaked from our sensors. President Trump had been attempting to contact Comover for some time utilizing his iconic Trump Tower as a giant radio antenna. However, President Trump was never able to phone home, thus the creation of the Space Force. Or at least that's how the legend goes.
Oh, the Space Force. I got to say, on a surface level, I like it. <laughs> how, can, how could you not, at least on some level, ironically, appreciate the Space Force? Especially when the Godfather of Liberty for our little troop, Howie Snowden, has uh, exposed himself as a statist when it comes to defending ourselves from threats from outer space. He's talking primarily asteroids, comets, and the like that might bomb us from afar. But, hey, Space Force. I will say this. I'd rather see the money used on a Space Force rather than on any number of domestic wars that we can start with our current military budget. I'd rather see it used, or rather than giving foreign aid to all these different countries, I'd rather see it used than uh, being reinforced and reused to up the current military. I'd rather see it being used to use on the Space Force rather than fight the war on drugs. I'd rather see it used for any number of things. I'd rather see it used in enforcing this current immigration law. But we all know that's not going to happen. And, you know, the funny thing is, that NASA is basically, you know, they're puttering along doing their NASA thing, but all the major improvements have been made by private people, including Elon Musk and SpaceX, who have been forging ahead, basically inventing new ways to reuse rockets, which is a huge breakthrough where you can take off, you can reland the rocket. No longer does it crash or burn off or fall into the ocean. No. Much more pragmatic, much more capitalist-centric, because you're not just throwing money away every goddamn time you fire a rocket off, and pioneering brand new ways to enter space travel and further human exploration into the cosmos. So while I can applaud in a way Donald Trump for trying to be forward-thinking in regards to the future, where, you know, without a doubt, space will become a frontier at some point, but again, this seems to be putting the cart ahead of the horse just a little bit, considering the fact that even the private companies, which want to do it so much more than the government does because they can make money off of it, the driving force for everything that is good in this world, greed, if they haven't gotten there yet, I refuse to believe that putting this pretend space force in place at this point to invest more government dollars into private companies, which is all that's going to happen anyway. I don't think they're going to make a new DARPA slash NASA hybrid just pulling shit out of thin air, especially when you've got Elon Musk paying people way more money than the government. And frankly, I would not want the government to pay enough money to wean somebody away from Elon Musk over at SpaceX. But you know what? Take a step back. You know, observe, use your DARPA cash that's already been allotted and just kind of look a little bit more spaceward. How about that, Trump? But like I said, I will buy a Space Force t-shirt and possibly even a badge to put on my super cool backpack. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this uh, little mini episode at the beginning. Now I'm going to take you into our true conversation with me and my uh, papa. So thank you and stay tuned for more. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one -on -one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, 
The difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, so here we are. This is uh, Electric Liberty Land number 77, everybody. So you can, of course, find the show notes for the episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL77. And I am recording on Father's Day today, meaning that uh, I might have a special guest in mind. And I, uh, I happen to stumble across somebody that has played a large role in my life and uh, have to share the same last name as I do. My father, Jamie McWilliams, is joining us. <laughs> hey, Dad. Brian, long time no see. Yeah, yes, it's been been such a such a long time. So, welcome to the show, Dad. I know you listen to to the podcast a, a bit, not every episode, but uh, you're politically inclined, especially in the world we live in of Trump. But you know, first, I want to introduce you to the audience. So, uh, the man. Well, who- I appreciate that, and I, I wanted to introduce something that may be embarrassing to you, but to the audience that tells me a little something more about Brian. Okay. Uh, Brian, uh, I, I think I told you this, but just to, to recap, I there's the birthday and then there's the day you're conceived. And okay. you, you know your, your day of conception. I asked mom about the hour. I won't go that far. But <laughs> I was gone. I worked for a company, major computer company at that time, and I was gone for two weeks or a week and a half. And then I had one day back and had to go out for a week. April 1st, that <laughs> was the day of conception. I could give you the hour and minute. That, I think, is apropos on yeah. Father's Day. And probably your audience is dying to know that you know, <laughs> this is where it all began. Yeah, you're playing a joke on the world by conceiving me on that day. And the joke just keeps getting funnier. <laughs> April Fool's Day. But it wasn't a joke. And nine months later, there you were. Little yeah. baby. Well, thank God for that. I think all the all the people in the world will be very happy that 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 uh, sperm and egg connected on that particular day, and I am the inevitable result. Um, so, Dad, tell you know, tell me a little bit about your political views over the course of like my youth, because I can remember you guys voting for Democrats. Uh, I think probably some Republicans back and forth. But you know, what were your views? And uh, when you were younger, and then as you know, I was growing up, and what are your views now? Take us through a little bit of that story as to the way you've evolved from a political perspective. Well, like a lot of people, you start off in one place and you end up in another. Um, I, our, my dad, your grandfather, you know, he was always Republican, Republican, Republican. However, when I was at Penn State, I was second, no, third generation. Yeah, I know people know that. Yeah, where the McWilliamses run deep at Penn State. (laughs) Penn State, yeah. But when I was at Penn State, this was at the height of the Vietnam War. And I came to the conclusion that this is not something I really could support. So at that time, and then coming out of that, I went to Temple University for my graduate program. I told you the story of how I legally (laughs) did not end up going to Vietnam because maybe people, a little bit of history, didn't know at that time they had a draft and they had a lottery system. And in another little bit of irony, my draft number was number 13. (laughs) So you think of 365, it was not 
would you be, but when? Right, yeah. But having not been drafted, without going into that story, um, I then, my first real job was working in Columbus, Ohio at a television station. And this was when Richard Nixon was running against George McGovern, coming off of Vietnam. I was very much pro-McGovern because, like a lot of people at that time, I was against the Vietnam War, didn't believe in it. And this led to Watergate, et cetera, et cetera. I experienced, talk about news bias, the, the station that I worked for, the CBS station, was very much very conservative station. And I saw firsthand with George McGovern, who was very liberal, trying to run and seeing how a reporter was directed to ask certain questions to try to tor- make oh, you know, them yeah. look bad. So don't think the media bias was not present in those days. Mm-hmm. And I kind of found it kind of distasteful. Uh, but over time, having gone through Watergate, um, I, I, I also came to learn when I actually had a chance to see Richard Nixon in person working in the news business, I said, you know, like everybody, there's, there's, there are many sides to people. Nobody's perfect, and everybody has some things that they do well. And a lot of times, you don't even realize that till later. Now, I did vote for Jimmy Carter over Gerald Ford, mm-hmm. and he was very much in the Obama mold in that he was a person who was charismatic, fresh ideas, but he, he, he did not seem to be a very effective leader. You know that we had the gas crisis. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of problems with Iran. Yeah. And so overall, Jimmy Carter, I did not think had a very effective presidency. I was moving more toward a more conservative type of side. Although in Carter's defense, when the original wars with Iraq began, he was a military guy, and he never got credit, but a lot of the things they had, the Patriot missile systems and different defense things that were used so effectively to just blast through Iraq, that was developed under Carter. So again, history may have a different perspective than what is happening currently. Right, yeah. But in terms of my philosophy, and this is where we converge a lot, I've always been very liberal socially. You know, I've never, I've never felt that, you know, I've, I, I've never been a conservative in the sense of being more, you know, morally uh, exclusive, righteous. I've always dealt with all people as individuals. But when it came to financial policies and things like that, that's where I definitely, as I developed, was more of a conservative personality. Yeah. And having worked, and having worked in the news business for four years and, I could, you know, and seeing how things like that were done. And now I'm a member of the media, technically, even Mm -hmm. though my business now, I'm semi-retired, is doing a television show about golf travel. I still have media credentials in that area of the business. So, you know, when you're a media person and you're a person in public relations, Mm -hmm. you get to, you get to, sometimes you participate in spinning things. Oh, yeah. Look selectively at what you want to present. And you also, knowing from the other side, you get to be pretty astute at recognizing BS, at recognizing falsehoods, at recognizing things like that. So when bringing it up to the present, it's a very, very disheartening situation in some instances because 
once when when you grew up dealing with journalism and in the media and, and you're a writer and things like that and you recognize what's happening it's it's very disturbing to see that the truth yeah it's just been completely thrown away. right well by the way i want to mention one thing so you know dad you mentioned us converging and because uh, you know politically i i myself also is a sim similar pattern in that i went back and forth uh, you know voting for uh for democrats and bush you know when george bush first ran well not the first bush but george uh hw um so yeah, when Bush ran on a, a platform of really non-interventionalist, you know, non-empire building, and then went and did all that anyway. So yeah, I voted for him. Then I voted against him for the second term, and then I, you know, then I became a Ron Paul fan. And you yourself, you know, also became a Ron Paul fan. My dad had the Ron Paul uh, placard in the yard and everything. So I want I want our audience to uh, to know that. But in regards to the current political climate, yeah, it's just the, the effort to uncover the truth is completely gone and. And, you know, naturally, there's always going to be some biases. And, and yours was, uh, this is, you're talking about CBS when you were in Ohio, right? Yeah, I worked at the CBS affiliate in Columbus, Ohio. Right. So that's, so, you know, I guess Columbus is probably still more conservative leaning. Although Ohio, I think, usually goes Democrat, doesn't it? At least now. Well, that's where, you know, things evolve and change. I mean, yeah. uh, I went, before you were born, when we lived in St. Louis, we lived in a town that was brand new. It was a suburban community. Your grandfather, my dad, worked for the United States Army as a civilian with the helicopter division, and it was called Florissant. Mm-hmm. And when we drove, when, when, when you graduated from Penn State and I drove with you out to California, I tried to pass through where I had gone to, you know, lived in, in Florissant. Mm-hmm. You've heard of Florissant, maybe because of Ferguson. But... We could, number one, I couldn't find it. It had changed so much and it had evolved into a completely different environment. Completely, 100%. So things change over time. But but in regard to the news business and the truth too, one of the things that I experienced at Columbus, Ohio, because I came in as a news photographer, cameraman, but I had aspirations to be on the air and I worked into doing sports reporting I eventually was a sportscaster in South Carolina, but what I what I, but there was a lot of professional jealousy from some of the people who saw me as a threat. Right. And without going into really de- real details, situations would come up where something would happen, and they would paint the picture so that so the he- there was a half truth. Like yeah. I once had to change a film magazine in the mayor's office. And he said, oh, go to the closet, because if you expose any of the film, you would lose it. And we literally didn't want to lose the last comment. It locked. And yet the reporter, who was not exactly in my corner, went back. And and then later the news director says, and you embarrassed the station by being locked in the closet. And the (laughs) mayor of the city was joking about it and saying, should we let him out? So here's the situation. (laughs) It's totally innocuous, but somebody (laughs) painted it as something totally different. Right. That's what's happening a lot today. And that's what's more dangerous than an outright lie. Because when somebody outright lies, it's easier to show that. When well, there's just, an element of truth involved, people always want to glom on that and say, oh, yes, but there is this element of truth. Right. That well, that's what that's seems to be happening with the Trump, uh, yeah, the Trump-Russia collusion thing, where it's like, okay, there might be a smidgen of like, okay, some of these people took meetings, but really there's nothing effectively there. The whole thing with the Russians in, in, you know, impacting the elections, we're now, I don't know if you've been following that story, but 
you know, Mueller tried to indict these Russians and one of the companies, yeah. they said, okay, fine. We'll take you to court. We still, we know this is total bullshit. And so you know, now Mueller's uh, trying to block their discovery to, to right. deny them any access to any of the, the actual evidence against them and saying that they can't even see it. And it's, you know, a threat to national security. To show it to them off, it's basically, yeah, exactly. And he doesn't know how to handle it. So he's trying to say it's national security to keep it a secret, but it's like, well, you have to let me see what you're accusing me of at least. So I just was, I, it's amazing where you can go with it and how the media is covering these things. Because what's interesting to me is what they selectively choose to cover and not cover. Uh, so effectively, you know, CNN is the perfect example. And, and uh, you know, even uh, Larry King had just come out saying CNN is a joke and that the media in general, like there is no news media anymore. It's all just biased viewpoints. And it's gone you know, past the point of even being reliable uh, to the point of just being pure propaganda. Well, you know, it's also a little, uh, what, what made me chuckle is that uh, the conclusions that are drawn and not drawn because the inspector general's report came out and immediately after listening to that, and I turned to your mother mm-hmm. and I said, this is exactly like, it just sounds to me like the Hillary Clinton thing. They, they yeah. list 50 reasons of how horrible she was. And then says, but <laughs> nope, she's yeah. not guilty. Of anything. And then he <laughs> right. did the same thing, but it shows you it's a, it's a type of government corporate mentality that says we always want to cover our asses. Oh yeah. And we yeah. really don't want to go too far, even when it's staring us in the face. But what we want it's like anything. When you try to be all things to all people, yeah. you end up being nothing. Well, it's like, that, you know, they ate Donald Trump too, because he basically says, I don't give a damn. And, yeah. you know, people don't like that. They, I mean, President Obama, I, even though I didn't vote for President Obama, I had an extra, very much an open mind. And mm-hmm. I just said, you know what? He's charismatic. He's got wonderful ideas. And, but at some point when ideology does, completely takes over, yeah. then it becomes dangerous. And and what happened over time is I realized he's a great speaker. You probably like the guy personally, but when it came to governing, when it came to doing things to really move the country in the right direction, more and more I said, this is a person who, you know, is moving in a different direction. And, and, and I felt it was frustrating because I always thought he would be smart enough and pragmatic enough to take that approach. But as I saw the ideology going further and further yeah. in that direction. Well, he had no interest in actually collaborating or working and reaching across the aisle. You know, it's like his classic uh, phrase, I have a pen. You know, it's like, it's basically like I have a pen and a paper or whatever. I'll sign, sign my way through and basically force through what he wanted to get done rather than try to actually find a solution that would work for both sides or have any interest in, in fostering communication um, or even in listening to other people's ideas as far as how the country should be run. And that's what just drove me insane. Uh, in the way that Obama operated. And then you have people that are viewing Obama now, who, who, by the way, won a peace prize. And that's the next thing I want to talk to you about is Trump getting nominated for this peace prize. You know, but you've got people that look back on Obama and say he was one of the greatest presidents in history. And I'm looking back at the guy and saying, well, because he was likable. Is that why? Because when you look at what he accomplished, he forced through this health care, which uh, most of the country at the time did not want it. He, he did it in regards to just a pure majority of legislation. He then bombed so many countries that he ran out of actual bombs. You know, it's just like the guy starts more wars and he continues to grow these wars. How is he a great president? You know, it, when he left us, it's not like the economy was booming. It's doing better under Trump. So why is he revered? You know, and then in the meantime, you've got Donald Trump 
talking to North Korea. He has a first time ever summit with North Korea, first time it's ever happened. And yet the media attacks him for saying that he's given away the cow and the farm uh, to yeah. Kim Jong-un right after the summit. It's just, it's well, he loved, he loved Putin. Now he's got to right. love Kim. And by the way, this is, I, I got a, ch- a kick at it. Number one, I don't think Trump should be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize until you actually do something. Right, agreed. Yeah, agreed. Having one meeting doesn't do anything. Is they had Kim, uh, you know, Kim nominated too. And yeah. I thought, Wow, I wonder if his like uh, former half brother would be, you know, interested in that. You know? Yeah, right. The guy that he's like saying, with a yeah, he deserves it. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, well, I think I, that these things get a little ridiculous. Well, it's like you don't want to forgive the fact that Kim is a monster. I mean, he has done absolutely monstrous things. He starved his people. He's a murderer and a dictator and a psychopath. But at the same time. You know, the way I'm looking at it and and the way Trump's looking at it is, he goes, look, if this is going to stop nuclear war from breaking out, then I'm all for it. If this is going to open up, and what I'm hoping for is North Korea, they're starting to become a little bit more capitalist. And it's amazing just what that's changed in that country. And if this, you know, as the more these talks go forward, the more chances are that they may open up that economy. They may allow people to go travel in and out of North Korea. So, you know, the best thing for these people, even though Kim Jong-un's a psychopath, is to open it up and get the communication lines going for the sake of those people. So when you see the media attacking him for, oh, have we forgotten about the human rights issues? Of course not. But in the efforts of helping the human rights issues, this is the best way forward. Well, you know, people, uh, I'm a huge believer in history. And like, and, and what worries me about the United States is uh, a lot of people think we're immune from things happening. But if you look at history, most great societies always are destroyed from the inside, not the outside. Yep. Yep. And, and if you look at history, FDR, who was revered, and rightfully so for the things he did, he was in cahoots with Stalin because mm-hmm. that's what it took to defeat the, uh, the Nazis. You know, that, that was expediency. And, you know, a film that we both saw and loved, we watched it together, Patton, at the yeah. end of the movie says, we're just going to end up turning around and fighting the Russians. You know, right. <laughs> they're not our friends. They're our friends now, but yeah. they're going to be our enemies. People don't ever seem to grasp the flow of history. Mm-hmm. And what we are in now is really a very historical moment in terms of where is our country headed? What are we about? And, you know, it's, and, and the other thing too, now I'm living, I'm living in Florida, but when I go to New York to see our darling, my darling yes. daughter, your our darling, daughter, our darling socialists, it's like uh, family you member. go into a bubble. Oh yeah. And, it becomes, and, it, and, and people really do reinforce all their beliefs and they don't really see the whole world picture. And and a little side note here, in terms of your generation and the younger generation, people aren't getting stupider, but in many ways, they're becoming somewhat less expansively intelligent because with technology, people have a great amount of knowledge, but it's getting into a narrower and narrower band. And they're kind of losing the ability to see the bigger picture and the bigger sweep of how It's like a laser, you know? It's like they have a a very specific, very powerfully focused point of view that can go very far in exactly one direction on one course of thought. And yeah, and and, and exactly right. I've talked about this on the show before. It's like the way the algorithms are set up, when you Google something, it knows your search preferences. It feeds you more information that's going to reinforce that. And the same thing with Facebook showing you, you know, the things you've liked. 
it shows you more of those things. So of course, you're going to see more things that reinforce your worldview. And I said this as well as people don't talk as much anymore. You know, it's like, it's a very secluded world that we've invented where people are connecting over the internet more, but they're not actually communicating face-to-face. You're not actually having a dialogue. It's mostly one-way communication that you're looking for reinforcement or encouragement in the form of likes or retweets or whatever else it is. So you don't and have people interacting anymore. Being lost. What's you that? There's, there's difference in terms of inflection. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, certain things may be... Well, you know, Trump is an example of this. He'll say certain things as a provocateur. He'll mm-hmm. say certain things in jest, but they'll take it and display it literally in print and people say, oh my God, that's horrible. You cannot get that. I have had people upset over things that I put in print over emails because the context could was lost. And, but this is, and the problem is people can interpret things as they want to interpret them. And that's why everything is being filtered and filtered through this prism, but it's not, actually reality it's their interpretation and that's a whole other thing if you want to get into that well the one thing i want to talk about a little bit in that it's tied into what we're saying here and it ties into this uh this story about kathy griffin you know coming at kevin hart for not not calling trump out in his comedy act which is just idiotic but it's also this you know this virtue signaling and this uh, this attacking people for having a descending point of view or not supporting a view enough where it's really, it's, it's causing so much self-censorship for people who now don't want to, you know, I got to watch my P's and Q's because I don't want to get you know, Twitter uh, roasted and, and be, you know, have people out to my company and go try to get me boycotted because I said this one thing, uh, you know, that people don't even understand the context of. And well, I need you to clarify something there, though. She said, Kevin Hart's a P. A pussy. pussy. Yeah, pussy. Is that what it was? I yeah, thought she yeah. was a patriot. I, I <laughs> no, no. He's just saying he's you know a what? I have a solution. She should get a little Kevin Hart cutoff thing Go like ahead. Trump, learn ventriloquism, and then she can say the thing with kind of a black hat. You know, type of thing. <laughs> All the things she wants them to say. You know, that, that actually, that would be Kevin the Hart, if Kathy Griffin, Kevin Hart, he's a short guy. <laughs> if Kathy Griffin actually did that, it would be the funniest thing that she's ever done because she's typically incredibly unfunny, and that actually would go over pretty well. But, uh, but yeah, it's just like you know, you've got Kathy Griffin saying, "Well, th- he's a black man," which first off, it's you know, kind of racist that this thought control. You know, that if you're black, you have to think this one way, which is why I respect the shit out of Kanye West for supporting Trump and saying, you know, I'm going to think what I want to think. You know, so to say that Kevin Hart has to make fun of Trump in his act to what ostracize half the crowds he's playing for, because, because this is because everyone must attack Donald Trump, no matter what, despite the, despite his best efforts, you know, it's just, it, it makes me so angry and frustrated because it is really emphasis on thought control. It is trying to control the way people think, the way people express themselves all through the line, like, you know, liberal, liberals are trying to completely dominate and control in an authoritarian fashion the culture as it's emerging. I have no problem with people making fun of Donald Trump because... No, because unless it's funny. But there's, there's, the, the, there's the making fun of, in, in the sense of, look at this because these... Uh, humor is taking what's on people's minds and bringing it out. So there's enough things there to do that. But when it comes down to... Everything has got a political point of view yeah. to make him purposely look bad or stupid. That's not humor. That's like just tearing somebody down. So I don't care. You know, I don't care. I'm pretty irreverent. 
You know, mm-hmm. I'll make fun of almost everything. Like, yeah, I even once thought maybe somebody should take a shot of Donald Trump coming out of the bathroom and then put a sign up there instead of dump Trump, but <laughs> Trump dump, you know, right, yeah. that's how sick I am. So I'm saying, but see, that's, that's making fun of the sloganeering type of thing mm-hmm. versus saying, you know, oh, he's despicable and well, you hate him. I mean, the thing that's really sad to me is that if you look up the word bigotry, Bigotry is a hatred of something, an intense hatred of something. And the problem is that all of the rhetoric and all of the news reporting, all of these things is building a culture where Mm -hmm. people are being bigoted toward whatever it is, whether it's toward uh, immigrants, whether it's toward uh, Trump. But people are being made into having these bigoted feelings Mm -hmm. and and the, the thing that's sad is that, like you say, when you're forced into a certain mindset, as soon as you disagree with somebody, you're, you're branded as a racist or as a conservative yeah. or a scumbag. But the fact of the matter is, any type of hatred that's directed towards somebody is bigotry. And whether you call it racism or that, hatred is hatred, and it's never healthy, and it's mm-hmm. never productive. And yep. unfortunately, our society is moving towards this. Uh, oh, without a doubt. It's, it's, it is reinforced that this, you know, it's, there's no longer, I like this person, but we can disagree on that. It is pure, like, if you, be- if you don't believe exactly what I believe, I hate you, like you say, because you're now racist. And that is what the media has taught us. That's what all these pundits are teaching us. I mean, that's really, you know, the talk about the political points of view. And, and this is, again, I, why I have a bigger issue with the left than the right, for the most part, is because the left is pushing this viewpoint where if you disagree on any of these wildly ridiculous things they're trying to push forth on us as far as you know being accepting of, of, of everything and anything, and it's, if you disagree, you are now a sexist or a bigot or a racist or whatever else. And it's, it's not fair because you're taking, again, we're talking about context, you're taking it out of context, and they have no interest in listening to the reasoning behind it. You know, why, why, here's why I feel that this isn't the best way forward, why we have to check ourselves before we try to, you know, like this, this gay uh, masterpiece cake shop, for instance, where they said, well, you know, they kind of dodged the issue, but you know, there's no way you should be forced to have to make something for somebody. That's just putting them in a position. But, but, but Brian, you know, a, a, fact, a fact that didn't come out until recently is that uh, the, the baker said, you can come in and I'll make this for you. I'll make right. this anything for you. else. Yeah. It was just the cake. So right. this, but see, that got lost in the narrative. Yeah. He was a bigot right. because <laughs> he hated gay people. And he said, no, this is a religious thing in this area. Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing too, this is, this is interesting too. Uh, hypocrisy. It makes people very, very hypocritical because mm-hmm. like in my business, you know, I go around to a lot of these great golf resorts we're treated very, very well to lavish dinners. That now, this isn't with my present situation, but prior to doing the television show I do now, we would do this thing called the Golf Road Warriors, and I liked all the guys I worked with, but they were all very liberal. One guy yeah. from Portland, a guy yeah. from New York, <laughs> and they were nice guys. But when, but here's the thing: I'm I'm not that conservative. I don't go around ever talking about that. But but because my view was not with keeping with them, they branded me like, you know, I was Attila, you know, the, right, yeah. the Hun type yeah. person. <laughs> have discussions about it, but I say, but, but, but here's the, what I don't get, guys, is here you're talking 
this anti this proletarian anti you know anti big business and oh it's so mm -hmm. horrible and we're liberals we're great liberals and yet your careers and your work <laughs> is being, you know being uh, lavishly catered to by these very conservative institutions yeah. that's your business yeah so exactly like, we're gonna bite the hand that feeds you but the but here's where the dangerous part comes in when you look at again historically like you look at the Soviet Union and you say you know what Let's look at communism. In its purest fundamental sense, you say, how could you argue with it? We all share. Right. We're all equal. And then you say, but what's the reality? It becomes incredibly repressive because mm -hmm. all of these radical leftist ideologies eventually turn on you. Yeah, exactly. Because then as soon as you don't agree with what they believe and they'll go off their own thing, then you, where you are saying, oh, oh, well, like he's going back to the golf example. I said one, the one person works with a golf publication and I, and, and is very, very liberal and, oh, Trump is this and that. And yet I'm thinking, but someday if that turned around and they come to you and say, you're working for this, you're being, you're being all these rich fat cats. You're a traitor to our right. philosophy, and right. you should give up your job and you say, but wait, I embrace your philosophy. <laughs> You're now an enemy. And believe me, people say, oh, that's far-fetched baloney. No, that's it happens every time. The Soviet Union. Anybody, right. when they, you know, the, the people who started to get into power, the radical, the more radical they were, as soon as you disagreed with them, you are no longer a compatriot, mm -hmm. you're an enemy. That's a very, very dangerous. Well, and also it's it's also from the position of you know socialism and communism. They are supposedly everybody is on the same team and sharing, but they are authoritarian. And that, like you're saying, if you step out of line, you must be eliminated. You must be punished. You must be branded the enemy. And and having a constant enemy is also very important, which is why they keep narrowing the the field to make sure that oh well, you see this person is not a true uh, a true comrade, and you know have to have somebody that you're continuing to fight against. But I also just in general sense, though, what I think about communism, too, is like, what's the drive? Like, people forget that there is a natural drive. You know, what is driving people forward? If you don't have to work, if there's no incentive for you on a personal level to be able to increase your wealth, increase the food for your family, increase your, your status, there's no drive for people to work harder or even work at all. You know, under a communist system, okay, you start out, everybody's working. Oh, well, isn't this lovely? But then eventually you're going to realize, well, if I don't do any work, everybody else is still going to chip in and I'll still get to eat. And more and more people are going to stop working. We're, I mean, we're seeing it play out in the United States in a sense with, uh, with the state of the welfare, you know, all the various welfare disability programs that are, you know, like 50% plus of people are on some sort of government subsistence, but it disincentivizes people to actually go out and make something of themselves. Well, they certainly in uh, Seattle where, with the, where they finally revolted against saying, yeah. you're being forced to pay this tax per person. Yep. And they said, are you nuts? <laughs> you don't like our business. You don't, but see, this is where who can, the difference between saying, does this make sense? Is this something that we talk to the people and say, hey, we think it's a great idea to do this, Amazon. We think it's a great idea. Hey, we agree with you. We'd love to give you money to do this versus, are you out of your blinking minds? Right. <laughs> you want to do that? Goodbye. Hasta la vista. Wait a second. This is, again, when idealism tries to trump what's practical and works, it always, bad things happen. It yeah. always happens. And, and unfortunately, in many cases, it gets so far into it that it's hard to reverse it.
Yeah. Well, let's talk about, so changing course a little bit, I want to talk about uh, another, another story. So we're not just on one whole, one topic, the entire show, because uh, we're getting about to 45 minutes. So we'll try to try to wrap it up a bit. So sick of me is what you're saying. I no, 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 of course not. But I, I'm going to do, because we're recording three days before the podcast, I'll probably do a little add on uh, of my own in case there's breaking news. So I want to build that in, but, but let's talk a little bit. And, and you and I have never really talked about Israel. Um, yeah, so I don't even know what your viewpoint is on Israel about America's backing of Israel, but there's a bill that Israel's looking at passing, which would basically make it illegal for any, any Israeli news organization to report on what's happening in the Gaza Strip. And I don't know how much you've been following it, but you know, repeatedly what tends to happen is that you have people that are rising up from the Palestinian side, whether or not this is because Hamas is encouraging them to, or it's organic, I don't know. But it always seems to have a lot of people that are unarmed getting shot and killed by Israeli guards or snipers on the border uh, in mass. And, you know, you've got at most one Israeli casualty and then you've got you know, 50 to 100 Palestinians lying dead who didn't even have arms to begin with. So what's your you know, what's your take? Where do you look at Israel? Do you support what we're doing with them? And as you know, we're talking about you were in the news business. We're looking at how truth and how media reporting is being uh, is being really corrupted. Is this just the latest example of a government trying to cover up its own misdeeds by making an, what should be an open communication, reporting actual facts into, again, just a, a propaganda wing to say you cannot control this? <laughs> I think that uh, I, don't know, I don't like to comment enough about things that I don't feel very well read or researched in. So mm. as far as your particular thing, I can only make a comment generally that you say, Whenever you try to keep somebody from bringing something out, it's not a good thing. Yeah. But this I learned uh, 25 years ago, I think. And uh, somebody made a comment, and I say, this is why things are never going to get right in Israel because, Israel. because you say, okay, whatever your thoughts about the Jewish state, whenever you try to establish your country in the most hostile place that you yeah. could possibly find probably in the, in the world, <laughs> yeah. why do you expect that they're going to accept you? Mm -hmm. So what it comes down to, again, is the only way Israel and the Palestinians, and, and you, can, you can pick out countless examples of the, uh, you know, the, the Israel side in terms of some of their expansion, and yeah. they've got their crazies and radicals and everything. You can just pick out... Uh, any number of examples on both sides of stupid, atrocious things, but what it really comes down to is the basic belief that says, you never should have been here, we don't ever want you here, and the only way a peace will be achieved is if some measure of sanity in both sides can find a way to be mutually beneficial. Yeah. When the ideology, and, and see, part of the problem is, and, and this is the thing, that, I'll be very quick in this, but, you know, when I first got hired as a sportscaster down south, I had a little bit of trepidation because, you know, back in the 70s, you're still thinking, I'm going into the most racist place in earth. Yes, I saw racism. Mm -hmm. Yes, I saw that. But you know the other difference? While we were living up north, there was just as much racism, <laughs> the difference being that it was like, we don't... We don't talk about it, but right. it's there. And I, and after having worked down south, I said, if I was a black person, I would much rather be in the south because things were starting to change. And the biggest difference 
was that even though it was a repressive type of situation society, the interaction of black and white happened much greater in the South. Mm-hmm. And you could say, but that wasn't equal. That Yes, all of that's true. But when people interact, when you start breaking down barriers, there's more ways for them to change things. So if you want to put that in Israeli-Arab conflict type of situation, there's an awful lot of interaction probably yeah. between Arabs and Israelis, but that just gets buried. It's the hatred that gets promulgated. And if they could ever get that interaction going in a more positive direction, things will work out. Maybe it's going to happen. You have Arab states now going against Iran, you know? Yeah, so, you I mean, again, you've got to look beyond ideology and say, what actually works? What actually helps people's lives? Because while I'm not a great world traveler, I've been around enough, and I've been to enough different countries that if you're a decent person and you're friendly and you have a good attitude, I've never gone to any country where people are hostile, and you always find people who are, who are decent. Our Lillian, you know, my, our, our father, right. when he got remarried, she's Jewish, but the place that they went to and visited most and had couples come over were Germany. Yeah, so yeah that's right. How so? There's you know, so and so, and when I was in Germany, uh, so you say, how could it be so crazy? How could it be so evil? And you find out the average person, for all the faults, is not a saint, not a sinner. And if they can get together on things, you really can live together well. But likewise, when the people at the top corrupt something, and we're seeing that played out now with the FBI, yep. you don't think that most of those FBI agents aren't disgusted by what happened, but. But that's the way the world works. And so it's a very fine balance. And the only way you can push things is you've got really good leadership and leadership that's willing to change. And that's why for any fault and how much you dislike Trump personally or whatever, this or that, at least you have somebody who's coming at it from a different perspective, a perspective of getting things done. And damn him for what he doesn't do or does, but don't damn somebody no matter what, good, bad, or indifferent. That just doesn't work. Right, exactly. The whole hashtag resist concept. Well, this is this is the power of groupthink. And that's why I like, you know, libertarianism, the basis of individualism is, you know, it's it's very attractive and it's very practical from a perspective of communication, of governance. I mean, every way, that's why I like libertarianism, because the larger these groups get, the larger this group think gets, the more dangerous, the more aggressive, the more authoritarian authoritarian it becomes. And, you know, the Donald Trump thing's a, a good example, just when you are literally hashtag resisting every single thing that happens and ignoring, you know, it could, Donald Trump could do something wonderful. And, you know, you look at right now, the jobs, you know, the the lowest unemployment we've had in whatever, 30 years, you know, the lowest African-American unemployment, the lowest Hispanic unemployment. These are great things. And then despite that though, and the tax cuts, another example where the economy is helping people are very happy. You know, people's get wages are being increased with these, these corporate tax cuts he put through and you still got people from the left, just attacking the attacking him for what? Just like trying to to take his accomplishments and make make believe that they don't exist. It's like these are your people, especially if you're on the liberal side. You're all for, or so you say, black rights and 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 Hispanic rights and helping the common man. And when they get helped, you're attacking Donald Trump somehow, regardless, and ignoring any of the benefits from his policies. So it's like well, you're you're racist, you know? Aren't you aren't aren't you for these people? You're rooting against them now. You want them to make less money and do worse. This has been proven many times, and I, I believe Abraham Lincoln first coined it and was one of the smartest people ever, is saying you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, 
but you can't fool all the people all the time. And hopefully, not just Donald Trump, but the country, if it moves into a position of saying, let's work toward things that actually do work, that yeah. help people, that over time people will say, you know what, you fooled me on this, but you can't, you know, uh, you can't fool me forever. Yeah. And I've seen that sort of happening in the country, but it's still very frustrating when you see when things are improving, when things can work, when you look at doing it a different way and say, nope, nope won't under any circumstance. It's yeah. like cutting off your nose to spite your face. Oh, totally. And you know what? There was I can't remember the context of it, but I was reading some story where uh, somebody was talking uh, about, you know, whatever, one of Donald Trump's policies and, and is the country doing better? And they literally said, you know, I hope, I hope that this doesn't succeed. Something that would have been great for the country. Yeah. And he goes, why? And he goes, because it would mean that Donald Trump was right. And that mindset is so idiotically retarded that yes. it is, it, 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 you just shake your head in disbelief. But that is what these people actually believe. And so many of them, they would rather America fail than Donald Trump succeed. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, I think there is a reason for hope. But yeah. see, uh, you're, in, you're in a state which has done so many wonderful things in terms of good ideas and yeah. other things, and so many incredible, like what in the heck <laughs> are going on? And it just seems like uh, in California, is, you have the greatest sounding point, sounding box for really stupidly insane ideas that yeah. people think seriously, yeah. but you have to hope that enough people are out there who really say, you know what? Uh, no, <laughs> let's just finally say, like Nancy Reagan, let's say no to drugs. Let's say no to stupidity. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, I'll wrap it up with my dad here. So, Dad, thank you so much for coming on the show. Happy Father's Day. I've not said it yet, but Happy Father's Day uh, to you. Okay, and I noticed I didn't get a gift from you, so I'm waiting. This is your gift. You got excited to be on a podcast. Wow. This is the gift. I'll Just have you on at Christmas. Publicity. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, you can. You could. You want to plug anything? Any of your golf videos? Uh, anything like that? No, that would sound really self-serving. Now, I'm at the point <laughs> of my life where all I want to do is is to is to be able to do some creative work. And the most satisfying thing in my life is knowing that I got two kids that actually turned out pretty good, and still say, you know what, my mom and dad, they're pretty cool. We love them. We think they did a good job with this, <laughs> as opposed to a lot of people. Yeah, say, uh, the opposite. You did, you so. did a good job. I, I, uh, I'll give you I that. You did a good job raising us. And you know, I, I talked to people about. But your audience is going to start throwing up if we keep this up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of ties it a little bit, just to, to sum it up. In that, you know, I think a lot of what's happening now with the culture and as far as a lot of the violence that's taking place is uh, the parenting does have something to do with it. Uh, you know, between social media. And people's approach to parenting, which is very checked out and non-aggressive and, you know, there's less emphasis on rules and discipline and, and also less, less communication between parent and kid. I think that all is tying into what we're seeing with a lot of these school shootings and the issues that kids have uh, as they are, as they're going into adulthood. So I think you guys did a good job. Neither Jenny nor I are psychopaths and, uh, and I'm trying to, trying to do what I can to keep the world a, a saner place. Go get him, son. <laughs> All right. All right, Dad. I love you. I will uh, talk to you later. And for our audience, I thank you for listening in to, uh, to my dad and I. little chatty chat between the McWilliams clan here. And uh, so for me, Brian McWilliams from Lions of Liberty, from Jamie McWilliams, my fantastic father, 
I want to remind you guys to always stay plugged in to 